two, one. All right, Uncle Randy, Father, thank you for coming. This is uh, this will be not this upcoming week, but the week afterwards, and that'll be uh, the signifier of one year. So this will be the one year anniversary episode of the podcast. So. Thank you. What? Wonderful ignoration. Ignoration? No, it's not. The inauguration? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's not inaugural. No, this would mark the one-year inaugural. But So one of the things that um, I talk about a lot on the podcast, or at least try to, is like creativity and I've done a lot of episodes on C.S. Lewis or talked about C.S. Lewis a lot. And we are all in a company that loves the Lord of the Rings and loves C.S. Lewis. And uh, I've given Narnia. a couple of, yeah, Narnia. And I've given a couple of quotes by Owen Barfield, particularly on what he had to say about language and how words have a soul. But I thought we'd start a little bit by talking a little bit about the inklings and kind of what they have done for storytelling and for how we understand language because C.S. Lewis and Tolkien wrote many textbooks on the English language. And uh, so I'm curious as your thoughts on the Inklings and... and uh, Probably one of the most interesting things to me, Jay, is, is when you talk about the Inklings, I mean, so Tolkien obviously was a... He was a philologist, right? Mm-hmm. So he was... So I mean, his... That was his his doctoral studies were in philology, yep. And so, which is the study of language. You know, it's the study of how languages, you know, became the language they became. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. and it's an interesting uh, an interesting study because Tolkien, you know, obviously used that as springboards to create his own languages. Yeah, obviously he created the Elvish language and even Orc language, and yep. created a a God language and different things that. But, but Tolkien's, uh, I mean, creativity, and I always thought it was fascinating how we can use the abilities and the things that God gave us in the natural mm-hmm. you know, and the studies and the pursuits that we do and, 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 and still exemplify the creative nature of mm-hmm. God in us, you know I mean? And, and that's what I think Tolkien, one of his best contributions to us was, you know I mean? He, was, he gave us, he gave us a, an amazing story. Yeah, you know that's probably, you know, my opinion, the greatest, the greatest piece of fiction literature that mm-hmm. ever was written, because of the creativity that he had to create language, and and it all started from a language. Yeah, you know, it started from him understanding language. So if I think if we understand language, it starts to help us understand the 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 mode and the reason of mankind. Yeah, and when you understand that, you can create things and. Of course, there's lessons to be learned and all sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting how young he started creating languages. Because if I remember correctly, uh, after his his parents died, he lived with his aunt and uncle. I don't know if he had an uncle, but with his brother. And she was supposedly very strict. And so him and his brother would create these little like pictographic languages to communicate with each other. And then it, it grew from that and into his real actual languages that have syntax and all of these rules in them. And I think when you can understand language to the degree that you can create it, you can understand the way that people think about things. And I think that shows in his stories and the allegories that exist in his stories. So. The thing that, the thing that I love about the inklings and the creativity process is when you look at, you look at the men who are all right folks sorry about that we were having some technical difficulties where did we stop what I, well i was just talking about the, the thing that i appreciate about the inklings and what they what they were able to accomplish in light of the fact that they what was already mentioned you know the languages the creativity the stories kid stories adult stories that have lasted for decades and uh, and and show no sign of slowing down. I mean, they've had screenplays, mother, right? All TV those kind of things. Now, I mean, it's spin-offs. it's insane how much they've impacted our imaginations. And and what is so 
profound to me and the thing that I so appreciate about the whole thing is the is that creativity does not happen in isolation. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that we have as, as one myself, who's, I mean, who is really interested in creativity, study creativity. You know, I do a few things on my own as well along this space. And what's really interesting is everything that I've read and everything that I've studied about the notion of creativity is that it doesn't happen in isolation. And these guys knew that early on. What do you mean and, it doesn't happen in isolation? Like so there needs to be think, more than one? People think creativity strikes you like a muse. You know, and they used to say, where's the muse? You know, kind of, mm -hmm. and people talk about writer's block, mm -hmm. you know, and this like creativity is something that just comes upon you like a revelation or like a, a flash of insight, like a eureka moment, you know, from back in the Archimedes day, mm -hmm. you know, this all of a sudden this great idea just flashes on you. And that's the only way it happens. That's actually not how it happens at all in any capacity. Creativity is always something that's, worked through, massaged out, talked out, crit critiqued through. And these guys knew that early on and they would get together and they would tease out their own creativity and their creativity evolved from the conversations that they had and they used each other. You know, like scriptures tells us iron sharpens iron. And I really think that that's what was going on there is, is these here, these are professional men, college professors, you know, at the highest level, you know, and, and adding significant contributions to the world and to culture, et cetera. And, and their genius wasn't, they were geniuses in my opinion. And I don't think mm -hmm. anybody would contest that, but their genius wasn't just an isolated thing. They, they, they used each other's genius to, to propagate their ideas, to improve their ideas, to make their ideas better. And that's one thing that I learn when I read about the Inklings and study the lives of, of these, these men. It's the fact that they were incredibly creative and they each kind of credited the others with their ideas and their and the mm -hmm. and the value and the strength behind their ideas. And 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 I take away from that, like I've like I've already stated. We could learn from that by a, you know, jettisoning the notion and rejecting the notion that creativity comes from the muses, which are Greek gods, actually three Greek gods, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. um, that comes from the muses, and they don't come that way. They're There's not more a than lightning three. flash. There's hundreds of muses, but sorry, but yeah. that's all stolen. I mean, that's even the muses are stolen from from scripture. It's stolen, <clears throat> you know. I mean, so I mean, it doesn't come in isolation. It comes from from collaboration that's right creativity comes as we as we like like matt was saying tease out ideas together like for instance in the inklings you know like 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 new lewis at first you know he was about to um you know he was he was you know he, he didn't think that you know talking animals would work you know and, and mm -hmm. tolkien was like oh no you do it yeah you do it no th that's what you need you know tolkien you know of course you know, you know, he created, you know, from the, you know, the elvish and the fairy side and the yeah. goblin and orc and all that kind of stuff. All of them, you know, I mean, had had George MacDonald as a guy that they looked to, mm -hmm. you know, who wrote, you know, I mean, who, you know, the the, the back of the North Wind and, and things like this. And, and just some incredible the wise woman and other tales, I think. I mean, just amazing yeah. stories, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that that they looked to him and, and understood, you know, I mean. You know, and it, it was borrowed. Their creativity, their genius wasn't borrowed. And it reminds me, like the muses. I mean, they they they're stolen from scripture itself. You know, from Genesis, Genesis, right in the beginning of the of the Bible. You know, we we see the Trinity talking to itself, talking to each other, and it said, "Let us create for ourselves man yeah. in our image." Mm -hmm. It you know, and and so we obviously always when we think about creation, we think God spoke. You know, but realizing and remembering that God is a three-part triune being, mm -hmm. you know, and man was created in the fashion, but they all had a piece. That's right. You know, I mean, John 1, 1 says, you know, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was, was God right. and the word was sent into the earth in the form of flesh and became man and dwelt among. <clears throat> the idea that, you know, I mean, they were all in unison. It says the spirit, Genesis 1, was hovering over the waters. 
Mm-hmm. You know, every, hovering over chaos. What I love about that scripture, all, Randy, is creating, they were creating. hovering over chaos. Yeah. Literally, the word there is depicting the, the concept and notion of chaos. Yeah. And when you have that collaborative intelligence, which the Trinity is, of course, a perfect example, and the Inklings are a manifestation of that. Because for as far as I know, and I know that was more than just Farfield and Tolkien and Lewis. I know there were more than that. But as far as I well, know, they were all godly men in their yeah. own right. Sure. So, so what's interesting about that is when anything that's animated by the spirit of the Lord, yeah. when you get together to collaborate like that, it's going to produce something valuable. Yeah. And if you look, if you look at that and you take those two examples from the creation account and from the inkling, which is our topic right now, you look to see that over the chaos and in the midst of chaos. And one of the things that I've, You've said in some of my own writings is chaos is the package that your potential arrives in. Mm -hmm. And people kind of look funny at me when I say that, but I think I really believe that with all of my heart because people try to avoid chaos. It's Mm -hmm. just our natural tendency to avoid chaos, to reject chaos, to try to bring stability and order, which I, which I get. And that's, that's the natural indications of, of where, where we are, but what we need to understand it's, in the process of that, in the mess, in the uncertainty and all that is w- the greatest opportunity mm-hmm. to create something that's needed for the moment. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a story that brings comfort and just, you know, or whether it's a, like, like the Narnia stories or whether it's a story like Tolkien's stories who were more about just depicting and, and I don't know how he always said it wasn't an allegory, but depicting life as he saw it and life as he understood it, yeah. people could identify with that and, well, I and think, have ultimately peace. We're like, okay, I'm not alone. Right. I think this is my opinion as someone that I, I like to write a lot. I've never published anything, but I do know that any good author, any author worth the salt will always say that his stories aren't, or their stories aren't allegories. But they always are, and usually that, those are the best allegories is when they're unintentional because you are just writing about truth. When you're writing and you're telling a story and you are partaking in this creative endeavor, and in my opinion, creativity comes from the Spirit of God himself because he's a creative God and he's a very imaginative God. I mean, look at our bodies and the way that we the way that we're formed and the intricacies. So he's obviously a very intelligent and creative person. And when we are partaking in a creative endeavor, we are doing an innately spiritual thing. And I think the no, best I, authors, I think the best authors are simply partaking of this creative activity of writing words on a page. And I think that's an innately spiritual thing. And that's why I'm very particular about, what kind of books I'll read. Usually if I'm going to find a new book series or something, I'll, I'll read about the author first because when you're reading somebody's words, Stephen King said this, interestingly enough, um, it's like a form of telepathy when you're reading someone's book because you're reading their very ideas and it's kind of, you're envisioning the same thing and um, it'll be a little bit different for everybody, but when you're reading their words, you're also getting a part of who they are and the very best authors like Tolkien, like Lewis, I think was overtly writing allegory because that's what he wanted to do. But I don't think Tolkien was overtly writing an allegory. And so the allegory is merely a byproduct of the very imaginative act that he took place in. Well, it's, and they're all a piece of who they are, right? You know I mean? Every, you know, when you're writing, you're literally putting a piece of who you are into paper, yeah. whether Absolutely. Pen to paper, whether it's academic or, you know, fiction mm-hmm. or whatever kind of writing you are, you're, you're literally putting a piece of who you are into, into words, you know, and so it is a form of telepathy, you know, because you're, you know, people are, people are getting inside of you, you know, they're getting, yeah. you're, they're getting a piece of you. And that's the wonderful thing. <coughs> I don't think, I think that's all, also- of, all of those guys and the Inklings credit each other you know, for the success of their writings, you know, for that, that ability, you know, when they sit in that, the ego and the child, you know, and they're sitting there and they're, you know, drinking their beer and smoking their pipes and talking yep. about their, their, um, you know, their writings, you know, I mean, they were pushing each other to excellence, yeah. you know, and that's where, that's where I think that, uh, a lot of current day writing and a lot of things have fallen down, 
You know, everybody wants their own private interpretation. They want their own private revelation. They think that, you know, and and instead, you know, I mean, these guys, you know, were able to give credit to each other and at the same time create their own thing, mm-hmm. you know, but they, you know, they, they, they use one another for a sounding board. Yeah. That's why a lot of television writing is very different because um, they have a storyboard room mm-hmm. and... Right. So then there's like six or seven writers that do it. And that's why I think a lot of TV shows are taking off more, uh, such as like The Terminal List was a very, very good show. And obviously they had good source material there and they included the original author. Yeah, it was a good book too. Um, But the author was way more involved in it, but they actually had this room where they would pitch ideas and they write together. And when you do it right, I think that's why TV shows can grip the imagination more than a movie can. Um, for many reasons, you have a lot more time to tell a good story in a TV show because you have like 10 hours instead of two. But a lot of TV producers now, and I think this is just a larger trend at all, people are just rewriting stories over and over and over again instead of taking the time and I think the risk of creating something new because there's something risky about it, because like you said, and uh, you're putting a part of yourself into this work of fiction, and that's an inherently risky thing, because if people reject the idea, then it feels like they're rejecting you. Right, and like, and like we said, I mean, they weren't, they, they say, Tolkien and Lewis and these guys, say they weren't commenting on the day in which they lived, you know, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but honestly they were, because they lived in that day and age, and yeah. I think even in today's culture, it's so... Right. People are afraid, you know, to address how they really feel in a lot of ways in that creative, sure, in those creative venues, and they're afraid to they're afraid to, you know, writers and different things because there's so many political things now involved in, you know, what what can the be risk, approved. The risk and what, of being canceled is yeah. so high. Well, it's, yeah, it's, the it's cancel killing culture. creativity. Oh my gosh, you know, politics is like so, like intruded upon Basically. the realm of morality. That people are scared to make moral stands now. Infected creativity is what it's yeah. done. That's one of the things that I yeah. want to talk about as well is how much these, frankly, satanic ideas have taken over the realm of the arts, which I think is something. And I was trying to find the verse and I, I couldn't find it, but in it's either in uh, Chronicles or, or Kings when they're talking about the the creation of the temple. And it says in one of the verses that the Spirit of God descended upon the person who was creating the temple because it's this beautiful work of art. And then the Queen of Sheba comes Bele- in. Are you thinking of Belial? There's two. Belial, yes. Bezalel. Bezalel. Bezalel is yeah, the devil. That's in Exodus 35. <laughs> um, and that's when God God gave Moses the architect, the, the, you know, the blueprints for the temple, for mm-hmm. the tabernacle. The tabernacle. That's why I couldn't and it find was, it. It was the tabernacle. And he gave Moses very specific blueprints. And then he told Moses, go find this person who I have put my spirit on, master craftsman. And what's interesting about that is this is the first account we have in the scripture of God filling anybody with the spirit was this creative craftsman. Yeah. And that's critically important. And then the reference you were just talking to was the dedication of the temple that Solomon built mm-hmm. when it was actually completed and dedicated, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Yeah, fell the Shekinah so heavy, glory fell that they could not even move, you know. Yeah. So that's why I, I was mentioning this up. But then in that in the the Kings and Chronicles, the Queen of Sheba comes and sees the craftsmanship that's right. and notices the wisdom of of Solomon, not through the words that he spoke yet, even though it says she came to ask him difficult questions. Right. But before she even asked him the questions, it said she perceived his wisdom through even the steps up to the yeah, temple. That's exactly she right. perceived because it's a creative act. And I think the acts of creativity when you're telling a story, when it's when it's a completed story that's finished, there's beauty and truth hidden in the story just through the arc of completion. Because and and so I want to talk about that because something that's truly creative, in my opinion, is good. Truly innovative is good. You know we have, and so and because of that, God puts His fingerprint on that. This DNA is in everything that's good that's created. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I want to I want to point this out. I don't know if you've ever considered this or not before, but this struck me a few weeks ago, just in my own personal um, meditation time. 
that when we see God reveal himself in scripture, which he does through a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, and we know God reveals himself um, as love and, and all these other things that we typically associate God with. But what's mm-hmm. most interesting to me is of all the things that God could have revealed himself as to the world at the very beginning, he revealed himself as creator. Mm-hmm. The first thing we know about God before we know anything else, get, this is powerful. The first thing we know about God before we know anything, anything else about his character, about his nature, who he is, is that he is a creator. That's how he revealed himself first. And that's <laughs> what Mo, That's what Adam and Eve, I believe, understood and knew. That's why <laughs> you see what was the very first thing that Adam did was name the animals. When God was looking for a helpmate suitable for Adam, Scripture says that he brought Adam all the animals to see what he would name them. And among them, he found no suitable helper. So in other words, what was happening is God saw that Adam, who he was, where he was at, and realized, okay, he needs a partner. So let's see. Let's bring everything Mm -hmm. that I've created to Adam. Let Adam identify who, because when he says name them, now in the Hebrew, that's very, very Poignant it's giving things. them a reputation. Right. It's not just, oh, this is a calling lion, this their, is a calling mammal. Out their identity. He's actually identifying yeah. their identity. He's actually saying who they are, the sphere and the, the of their domain, and he's calling all those. He's giving them that identity. And then after searching through all of that, God says, yeah, none of these are good enough. You need something better. So then he created woman out of Adam's uh, ribs out of so that they, they were equals together mm-hmm. in that creative capacity. And yeah. I find that so interesting because Adam then mirrored back exactly what he was in that the as part of the image bearer of God, he was creating his reality. So Adam was responsible for creating the reality on the earth. This animal is going to be a lion, and they're going to do this. This animal is going to be this, and that animal is going to be... And by doing that, he was constructing his context. He was constructing his environment because that's the creative power that we have. And that's what God revealed himself as. And I always thought that was critically important because I believe we as, as Christians are called to create. I believe we have an anointing to create. And when we fail to do that, we start to see what we're seeing in society and culture today. We have abdicated our authority as creators. And because that's a natural thing, somebody's going to create. Yeah. I was actually writing about that. Um, this morning at church, I was writing it in the, the journal. Um, the fact that God called us to be creators and, because that is part of his spirit, and as bearers of his spirit, we have a duty and an obligation to create things and, and do things creatively. And I think it's interesting how uh, the, the allegory that Paul gave us is the body. And me personally, I can't think of a more creative and intricate and remarkably diverse vessel than our bodies. And there's a reason that Obviously, Paul gave us that allegory is the hand cannot say to the eye that I have no need of you. And But just the difference between the hand and the eye is remarkably and starkly different. And just as people will create things and act in creative fashions that are completely, completely different. Because uh, I would say that I'm a creative person and I would also say that my brother's a creative person. But my brother is really good at drawing and he's very artistic in that fashion. And his wife is an uh, incredibly creative person in the realm of, of dancing. She's a phenomenal dancer. She's a very high-level ballerina, and I do much more writing, and I do a lot more. I, I like to write poetry. I have a closet full of poems that I've written, um, and they're very different things, and through those three different mediums, you will you can learn different things and glean different concepts and present completely different cases for things, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's important that as Christians we endeavor to be as creative and imaginative as possible because that is one of the ways which we can teach ourselves about God. And 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 even doing what we're doing now, you know, by just talking, you know, I mean it starts the creative juices start flowing, you know, and you start mm-hmm. thinking about things, you start 
you know, your imagination, you know, it's, you know, it, it can't be, you know, you have, you know, you talk about creativity in any fashion, you have to talk about the, the, the power of the imagination, mm-hmm. you know, because it, you know, that's what fuels creativity, you know what I mean? And so we, you know, a godly imagination, imagination that is surrendered to the spirit of God, which is what, what Bez, or, um, Bezalel. Bezalel was, was, you know, says the spirit of God was on him. He was surrendered to the spirit of God and it fell upon him and he was used to create that thing. You know, I mean, there's an interesting passage, you know, I mean, after the Lord created the earth, you know, I mean, wickedness grew up in the earth, you know, and, and it says that he regretted, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Remember that scripture? It says yeah. he regretted, he regretted making, making man, man. Regretted you know, because, 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 because why? Because they're, wickedness of their heart was creating evil that was just beyond imagination you know and that's and and it, it's cyclical like that and so we know that you know the lord came and judged mankind and you know sent the flood and all those things and then in, in uh, I believe it's genesis 8 22 you know it says that it's you know he's talking about Noah and he says I'm not going to destroy the earth again yeah you know with water but I'm gonna you know I mean there will be another judgment that comes you know next time I judge the earth it'll be with fire you know mm-hmm. it's, but that's still yet to come but in verse 22 he says he says and yet while the earth remains there will always be this seed time and harvest mm-hmm. you know snow snow and su- or winter and summer fall and spring it, it, you know the seasons right. heat and cold you know all these things will will trans you know all this of reaping sowing and reaping you know and that is a, a really a picture of i believe the creative process of god because it's like yeah. once he <laughs> once he put it into motion and once he started create creating things you know i mean we know that if i take a seed if i take something and plant it i'm going to grow a tree you know i'm mm-hmm. going to grow a, a plant i'm going to grow a bush and 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 the creative process that God put into the earth, we, we, Job says that the worlds are held together by the word of His power. Yeah, you know, and and which was the creative word that was spoken when He created the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's still holding there together. But but we can trust in the creative process because because God has still planted His His seed, which is His word which can also be a great analogy of Jesus coming into the earth, planting himself. He died and went into the earth and was resurrected again himself. He came and died and life came out of his own death. And all matter of fact, his death was so powerful that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and resurrected. That's cre. I mean, that's, that is a picture of perfect creation. Yeah. You know I mean? And it's, and it's, it's never going to end. It's always going to, it's always going to perpetuate itself. And if we tap into that, we're tapping into the nature of God. Absolutely. And I think it's important to point out, you know, we talk about God revealing himself as a creator and and all the things we've been talking about. I think it's it's neat to also remind ourselves of one of the the prophets, Zechariah. Zechariah had a series of eight visions, and if anybody wants to read this, it's in Zechariah 1, 18, um, all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 21. So it's a short little thing there, but... You can, and you can you can read that, but I want you to recognize what's happening here. Zechariah is seeing a vision. The Lord is showing him four horns, which is a representative of a certain type of authority, right? So these four horns are actually destroying the world. Okay. So and then in the and he's asking the Lord, what am I looking at here? He goes, I see these four horns and they're destroying the world. Then he showed me four craftsmen, four creative people, and he says, well, what are these? Because these are four craftsmen and they're coming to to undo the horns. They're trying, they're coming to destroy the horns. In other words, what I believe that's kind of telling us is it's a, it's an important story for how important creativity is in taking back what the enemy has stolen. Amen. Because, mm-hmm. because it's it's not the the leaders and it's not the politicians that are coming, it's not other kings that are coming. Yeah. It's craftsmen that are coming. It's the I creative think, think, rank yeah, is good. coming to take that back. And it's and it's in the creative process that that 
nations are won and lost, that, that communities are won and lost. And that's why what you mentioned earlier, you know, there's so, that's why I think there's such a focus and a perversion on the creative arts because, you know, the enemy of our souls knows this as a reality. So he's trying to preempt the creatives in saving and bringing back order. So he's trying to corrupt and pervert the creative process, which is why the arts tends to be, the subject and the victim of so much attack attack. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's important. The notion that creativity was stolen because inherently the enemy Satan is not creative. So the only thing that he can do is steal what is all right. Like he only has two or three tactics that he uses and he can use them very effectively, but everything he tries to do is a perversion of what already exists. Yeah. I think looking at because he himself was trying to get back. Look at Roman some of his initial what he lost because we know that Lucifer was the mm-hmm. chief musician, yeah, which is an extremely creative position, right. and he yeah. lost that and Roman was taken chapter, away from Roman him. Romans chapter one depicts it clearly for us. I mean, he, you know, the creation itself testifies for the glory of God, right. mm-hmm. you know, and it, it it that is the and the enemy hates it, so he's twisted it, and so he's turned over people that have people that reject that notion, people that. You know, and so what we see in the earth today, we even see the, the ultimate perversion of people trying to take their own, you know, their own organs, Biology. the way that God has created them, male or female, and trying to twist that. And my heart goes out to people that have done that because they're they're believing, unfortunately, a horrible lie. You know that they that 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 they have the right to change, to twist, you know, what God has created them to be, and that's an example of of what Matt's talking about, you know, the enemy's perverting, the enemy has perverted, you know, what the, what the nature of God has placed it in there. And then the, the scriptures tells us he turned them over to that. Well, turn I think them over one to of those deceitful lusts, you know, it's to prove to them how crazy they are. That's what's, I think one of the interesting things is even that endeavor is they're trying to people who want to deconstruct their body and change their biology, even though they can't, that's uh, they're trying. Bodies. Yeah, they're mutilating their bodies. They're trying to take on the role of creator. I will create for myself what I want to be, and it's like they change their their pronouns to all of these crazy things because they're trying to take on the role of God. But it's a perverse way of doing that. The way we're supposed to be doing it is as a craftsman, as a a way of sharing the truth, sharing the gospel with people through our words, through our speech, through our through paintings, through creating temples. It's a way of creating to glorify God by revealing the truth in a way that is easy to partake. I think one of the beautiful things about C.S. Lewis is the way he was able to take these very abstract theological and, and inherently spiritual truths and convey them in a manner that people can understand. And I think that's one of the best attributes of creativity and imagination is the ability to make the truth comprehensible. And I think that's one of the roles of a, yeah. a creative person. It's one if you have the ability to do that, I think it, the onus is on you to do that because yeah. that is your sacrifice to God. That's how you serve God by taking what the gifts that you've been given and construing the truth for that through that to make it understandable for people. That's because I think when I think of like being an evangelist, I, that idea scares me a lot, like actually going out to people on the street and just telling them, but I get incredibly excited about writing a story about something or writing a tale or, or writing a poem. And I think that is a more creative endeavor. And it's for me, I get excited about those sorts of things. And I also, because that's your nature. Yeah. Because you talk to an evangelist who's gifted in that yeah. way, that's creative for them. Yeah, very creative. Everybody is creative because we're made in the yeah. image of God. Saved, unsaved, righteous, unrighteous. Everyone has a creative identity within them. And part of the part of the point of the meaning of life and the purpose of life and the whole idea of destiny and purpose and all these things and what why am I here? You know, all these great philosophical questions. Is actually centered around how am I to express my creativity? Yeah, and I think, and I think that you know, again, righteous, unrighteous, saved, unsaved, whatever, uh, everyone's striving to find a vehicle or an outlet for the innate 
characterization of the creative nature that's within them. And we need, we need to allow for that. And then when we see people expressing their creativity in all the different ways that they do it, we need to honor and recognize that whether it's celebrate it, right? Celebrate that creativity. Cause like you said, certain things scare you and certain things excite you. And that's true. No matter who you're talking to, they're going to have the same kind of aspect uh, to their conversation. I was like, I could never do that. I mean, I never considered myself creative because, and even for years, I mean, I remember feeling guilty about it because I don't dance, I don't sing, I don't play an instrument, you know. No, no, any you of those. can't dance. I can't dance. You can't yeah. sing. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Art, I don't draw, you know, I can't and draw we don't very want well and all to. that and all those types of things. Uh, but I did realize that there are so many other ways to express right. creativity. And that's where I think we need to, give everybody permission to. And, and the, the point that all that to say this is the inklings, you know, are a, are a model for us in that because the way that I came to realize how I was creative and the things that I've done is through conversations with other people who would, I, we just talk ideas. Like, oh, that's a neat idea. Or did you explore that? Or did you explore this? And, you know, you talk about intellectual property and patents and copyrights and all these kinds of things. Um, it comes through conversation. It comes through being vetted. It comes through, One of the, in my setting, the editorial process, which people hate. People hate their work being edited, but that's a big part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I like that you said patent because it made me think of um, both Godel and Albert Einstein. And um, when it comes to both of them, if you look at, I was watching, I was either reading something or watching a, a documentary on them. Um, but both of their like you biggest... were reading the book when Einstein walked with Godel. No, I actually wasn't. Okay, I, I've, that's a great I, book. It is a very good book, but I wasn't reading that. It was something else. Um, and both one of the things that this author or, or presenter was talking about was both of their biggest ideas were came through their current environment. So both, if you look at Albert Einstein's and the way that he came about the patent and about light a lot of the patents he was working on was about light bulbs. Because yeah. at that time, there was a huge, huge surge in different ways of coming up with light bulbs. Because right. after um, Edison. Edison created the light bulb, he created the original one, but then in the early 1900s, there was a huge other uh, surge of other ways of creating light bulbs. And the person that was working and uh, affirming those patents was Albert Einstein. When he worked in the patent office. When he worked in the patent office before he was a famous scientist. And it's interesting that, well, his huge realization that created the realm of quantum physics was on about light. And he was working that's on... That's not a coincidence. And it's not... A, that's my point. Is that's not that, a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. Because it is pre... He was... Pre, it's actually the psychology of that and the, the, the technical word is called priming. He was actually priming his imagination by his actual work. This is the other thing that I think, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about. And that's the nature of the work that we do. You know, so many people say, well, I'm, I'm a starving artist. I'm doing this waiting tables, parking cars, whatever it might be until I can get my real creative job. And we've got to understand that creativity can be expressed in everything you do. And, uh, and, uh, and not only that, it's important to look for the creative opportunities in those things you do because so much of what you will ultimately become is shaped and framed by your experiences anyways. And when we recognize I that, I think that's critical. I think that's like every story ever starts with somebody working uh, on a farm. If you look at like fantasy tropes, working on a farm, and then they get the call but then by the end of it, they desire to go it's back Joseph to the Campbell's roots. hero's journey. Yeah, the hero's journey, obviously, yeah. Or the monomyth, it's also called. But they always, they have to, like like, like Moses, the fact that he had to go tend his father-in-law's sheep before he could enter into his own calling. There's this, these steps that you have to take before you get there because this is one of my, my gripes with college is all of our not not a single one maybe two or three of my professors ever had a real job outside it's my big uh, outside of academics and so like well what are you you're teaching me theory based on theory based on theory Mm -hmm. with no real world application and i think you get this you get these similar notions um similar environments with 
modern creatives who, well, what did they do? They just went, got an English degree and then started writing stories, but they have no life outside of these concepts and ideas to actually write a story about. They have no story to tell because they've, they haven't really lived a life. They never had to work for at a patent office. They never had to do anything like that. Well, it goes back to even what, you know, we started out with Tolkien, you know, I mean, he was a philologist, you know I mean? And, and his work came from, you know, he's, he's just doing his job one day. He's sitting in his office and he's, he's prepping his, his, uh, his research studies and uh, and he jots down on a piece of paper in the hole in the ground there lived the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. You know he didn't even you know he had that's all he had, but what he but what he had already in the bank was all of his work experience, all of the philology that he already done, and he had already started inventing a language. He had already started to do all this kind of stuff. Well, he like wrote out out of that the spark came mm-hmm. that ignited you know, the creative process for a world. And all of a sudden, well, that's. I'm going to create this world about hobbits. I'm going to create this yeah. world about. Well, he wrote a lot of what would become the Lord of the Rings when he was also at the in the battlefield in World War One. That's right. He wrote a bunch of it through that. Mm-hmm. He had something real to base a story on. Well, and 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 it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the chaos, you know, of life, you know, and it goes back to the fact that, you know, I mean, when when chaos does surround us, you know, I mean, it's it's. We have to go into that creative side, that spirit of God that's inside of us, the creative nature of God itself, in order to navigate mm-hmm. the chaos around us. And One so that's my... what an encouraging word for for believers and Christians everywhere. You know that you know as crazy as the world can get and all this kind of stuff, we still have the nature of God around us, and we can create an environment even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of chaos, that is that is going to keep us safe because of the creative power of God is inside of us and we can draw not only do we draw from our work and we draw from the things around us and nature of god but we can we can steal from what the enemy's trying to do to create chaos in our life we can find that that peace that the lord has given us and in the midst of that you know that god's going to give us something creative beyond what our what we could possibly imagine and that's not and that's not you know and i, I can hear people saying well that's that's a cop-out that's why you know, you're living in a fantasy world, you know, kind of a thing. And and what I'd like to say to that is, you know, part of part of the Christian tradition, you know, if you look at Abraham, you know, it it, it very the scripture says explicitly that Abraham believed in the God who called those things that are not as though they are, and it was attributed to him as righteousness. That's right. And I think that's really really important to understand because there was something that Abraham understood about God. Absolutely. That that we still don't today, and I still think we have a hard time grasping, is, you know, Abraham was Abraham. He made some horrible blunders, you know, as did David and Gideon and Samson and all the heroes that we look to in the Bible, you know, made these horrible blunders, but they they had a redeeming quality. And one of the things on Abraham's side here is the redeeming quality is that he understood God to be one who called those things that are not as though they are. In other words, he recreated his context, recreated his thing. And Abraham himself was able to do that. And he saw things and he recognized things, you know, and the stories that we know about Abraham when he, when he was, okay, we've got to divide up here and with his nephew lot. And, you know, they're looking out and he let, lets lot take the first choice. And so he gets what's left over and he goes and takes what's left over and makes it something amazing and better mm-hmm. than starting out like lot did who ended up, losing everything, you know, and this kind of thing I think is really important because it goes to what you're just talking about. And this idea that when that chaos piece is all around us, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning in Genesis, when you hear and we read about the spirit of God hovering over the darkness, hovering over the chaos, hovering yeah. over the uncertainty, the void, you know, what did he do? He called those things that he called things into existence. And then Abraham understood this about God as the creator. And I believe we have the same capacity. Why he's the father of our faith. That's right. He was the first one. That's why we all base our faith on the faith that Abraham had. Right. All, father Abraham. All monotheistic religions. Yes. <laughs> it's not just Christianity. I mean, base, base, base it out of that. Judaism, Muslim. Muslim Abraham had this ability, right? Hebrews, Hebrews 11 tells us that he... He saw the city. He saw a building. He saw a, a, whose whose 
whose builder and maker was God. He saw the whole of Jerusalem. He was looking for that. He wasn't just, and 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 that's that's what motivated him. It was it was a it was a spiritual, you know, encounter with God. You know that and and so he just obeyed God. God said, "Get up and go." He went up and went. Why? Because he had faith to believe. Wait a minute, God's got something more for me in life. And I, you know, of course, we 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 read about Isaac. You know, who had who had some amazing encounters. One of my favorites is Jacob, who's his great, who's Abraham's grandson. You know, there's a story that you know that that we that we talk about a lot. But you know, when he wrestles with God, you know, you think that was actually God? Well, I don't know, but I mean, it says one like the Son of God, or you know, I mean, you know, an angel, whatever it was. He was he was wrestling, you know, to where he was getting his blessing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, he was he was he was in the middle of this chaos. He was in the middle of a an encounter. You know, he's fearing for his life. You know, he's about to, you know. Uh, you know, have his family going to meet his brother who wants to kill him, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he, and he wrestles with God. And I believe that it was that wrestling with God, you know, and, 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 and he wrestled to, till daybreak, you know, and he said, well, it says he had a face like the son of God, yeah. a face like God. So I don't know, probably an angel who knows. Theophany, you know, possibly, you know, a manifestation of God in the Old Testament. Either way, he was, he was wrestling with this being and, and he would not leave until this being blessed him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's one of the things that that the creative power that we have one of the one of the one of the greatest doctrines that I think is sometimes overlooked in our lives is this doctrine even of laying on of hands, and that was a that was you know when when Jacob laid his hands on his sons and when he blessed them, you know I mean we see you know all throughout Scripture, you know you have the the blessing and when you can bless somebody, you're literally calling out the spirit of God, the enemy doesn't want us to bless anything. He wants us to curse everything, you know, call things that are, that are cursed. But when we bless someone or we bless something, we are literally calling into being, you know, the nature of God. If I were to say bless, I Lord, I bless Jay right now in the name of Jesus. And I just call forth the creative power of God. I mean, there's something in that, mm-hmm. you know I mean? There's, there's power in that. And we can, we can, we, it's like the beginnings of a prophetic thing, which is a, which is a powerful tapping into the, the the mind and heart of God by just simply blessing. It's, yeah. The scriptures command us, bless and do not curse. The prophetic so, imagination is <clears throat> such a powerful thing. And you think of Timothy, you know, mm-hmm. Paul says, you know, stir up the gifts that was given in from you the from the laying hands. on of hands, you know. And, and the scripture that comes to my mind that I think is important that kind of ties a lot of this together is this idea of Ephesians. I believe it's Ephesians 3.20. And it's a familiar passage, but it says it's in that scripture that says God is able to do more than we ask or think. Mm-hmm. So that's Ephesians three twenty. You can you can look that up to get the exact quote there. But what I've always thought interesting about that is again, this goes back to the nature and character of God, who who can do things beyond our imagination. And again, it goes back to calling those things that are not as though they are. And, and what's that saying is. God can create something for you that you can't yet see. Yeah. And and we we so well, limit our it? experiences and we so limit what what we're trying to do with our lives, our careers, our families, our purpose, our identity based on what we can imagine and yet scripture is very clear that God is about taking us beyond what we can imagine, which means outside of our thought. Isn't so isn't that like essentially the definition of chaos? I think people think of chaos as this just complete disorder, but really chaos is a yet unknown pattern. That's exactly it's right. It's a pattern that is not yet discernible. Right. And, that's and one of the things that I think is interesting is of every religion. As a quantum physics is. Yeah. Right. Quantum, yes. The chaos, chaos yes. from, a, from a mathematical physics stand is an unrecognized pattern. A yet it's, unrecognized a, pattern. A yet unrecognized Yet pattern. unrecognized that's, pattern is the important thing. But... The only, so in every creation myth, they all begin, in the beginning was chaos. And the the chaos created what Tiamat or or, or Ra or or any of these uh, founder gods, the chaos created. But in Judaism and in Christianity, it says, in the chaos reigned God. Is the actual is what is it's the only religion in which our God preceded the chaos and actually ruled and divined from the chaos. Right. 
he ruled with inside of it and created out of was not created by right and all of that's and, because everything here on earth is after the pattern of heaven is after the pattern of heaven yeah everything exactly. i mean i mean the temple was a pattern that was already in heavenly places our lives are the leaves on the tree that were created in the, everything was after the pattern mm-hmm. you know i mean and and uh uh you know i i was reading uh of course we all you know shadowlands c.s lewis you know wrote shadowlands you know referencing this world this is shadow land of the ultimate, you know, what, what heaven is like or what, what the kingdom of God is yeah. actually like. And so we... It's like Plato's theory of the cave as well. Yeah. We're just seeing yes. shadows. We're seeing, we're seeing this thing in a limited basis, you know, I mean, of, of what's around us. But within it, when we, when we tap into the creative nature of God, we're not just seeing... I mean, creativity even in itself is a pattern created. You yeah. know, you're, you're taking There's from a, chaos... And you're 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 being able to put definition to the chaos that exists, and you'll be able to put it together and yeah. say, "This is what I see. This is what I. This is what it what it's becoming to me." And now I can create a story. I can create a painting. Yep. I can create a work of. There's an idea um, that's literary, but also has like um, it was taken by um, shoot, I forget his name but about a sociological idea, but it was originally a creative idea called mimesis. And it was, I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first person who did it was Plato and Plato mimesis is the example of the shadows in the caves. So you have the reality is behind you. And then the fire is projecting this mimesis an imitation, a mimicry of what is behind you before you. And you only see the shadow. And so he saw it as a bad thing. Plato saw that as a bad thing. We, but his, but Aristotle created it and made it much more widely accepted, and he saw mimesis as a good thing. And I take that stance because mimesis, it is an imitation of what is good and what is true because mm-hmm. we are imitating reality and therefore spreading reality, and the way we do that is typically through literary methods or, or paintings or drawings. And he saw it, Aristotle took it and saw it as a good thing. It's a... Because it's a, it's an echoing. Depends on truth. what you're trying to mimic. Because yes. mimesis but is it, an interesting notion it, too. It's when we're talking about the nature and character of God, which is what we should be trying to mimic. Mimic. You know, yes. Scripture says that we are a mirror. Right. You know, we are reflecting back, and I think that's really important. The Word of God is a mirror, and we're supposed to reflect back. That to me is the core of mimesis mm-hmm. in this whole idea that you're talking about, because it is a powerful concept, and it has to do with. You know, it can be like anything. It can be good or bad. The question is, what are you trying to reflect? Yeah. What are you trying to mimic? Yes. And and if you're trying to mimic and reflect the shadow of the world that says success is about money and fame and sex and all these kinds of things, then then that's that's a perversion of it. But if you're trying to mimic like Abraham, like we just talked about, who recognized God for who he was and tried to be like that, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because we want to make sure that we're mimicking the right thing. Mm -hmm. So bring it back. Bring this all back for us to the Inklings, Randy. (laughs) So I know you you want to go soon. Uh, We're running out a little bit of time. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, and then we can bring it back, is we've talked a lot about... The Old Testament, and we're talking about these Old Testament stories. Can we take the Old Testament and see it as more than just a biography of historical characters? And should we? And then, how do we do that? Well, I mean, first off, first thing that comes to mind, you know, I mean, when we're when we're when we're talking about you know the Old Testament and the the stories that we read, you know, I mean, it's not just a history lesson, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not just they're not just there. You know, script, Timothy says all Scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for the instruction of righteousness, that the that the man of, or man or woman of God may be approved. You know, and and the Old Testament is included in that. That's not just you know limited to you know New Testament writings or the Gospels or or the epistles. You know, I mean, the Old Testament is 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 life. That I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about. Tolkien and Lewis and how they they drew from life. You know, you draw from the the historical examples of what men and women you know who were led by the Spirit of God. Abraham was led, you know, by the Spirit of God. Bezalel was the first recorded guy that the Spirit fell upon, 
Mm-hmm. But we obviously, you know, and you've got Abraham and you've got Noah and you've got preachers of righteousness. You even have Adam who yeah. was breathed on by yes, God. So I mean, that precludes Adam, right? So I mean so I mean it's it, the the reality is all these things are I mean, we we're not you know, the, these men and women that, that had powerful examples, even though they, they were before the cross and before before um uh, Jesus' time, they were looking forward by faith. If anything, the, the examples of Scripture in the Old Testament have almost a more profound historical value to us as believers because because they were looking forward to something. We have the privilege of looking behind and looking back to the work of Christ and the cross, you know, and seeing, you know, the plan of God. And we can look back and say, oh, well, I can, you know, because, you know, Hebrews tells us, you know, that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. It's like those guys, before Jesus was even crucified, they saw that. Mm-hmm. And they had a revelation of who Christ was, David. You know, I mean, probably the best example, you know, and we said, take not your Holy Spirit from me, you know, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know, understood things about about salvation that I'm still trying to we grasp, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm still trying to understand. And that's that's the power of, of these these stories. So I'm, I'm not sure if that's answering your question specifically or not, but I mean, we, we look more to those stories. I mean, historical value of, of the old Testament, because they, they teach us, you know, you can look at the, 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 the nuts and bolts of somebody's life and you can, they teach you how to look. It's all, what's it, what's the word for study of man? Anthropology, anthropology, you know, so as, as, you know, anthropologically, you know, we look at the history of man, we learn the his the cycles of man, and again it goes back to this, you know, since you know, the seed time and harvest and will remain while the earth remains. All these things going to happen. Listen, the things same things that happened to Abraham, you know, Isaac, and Jacob, and and Moses, and really tap Moses, you know, I mean, and the creative power of being able to call down miracles and tap into the supernatural realm. I mean, we die for that today, right? right. You know, and 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 those things are going to happen again because Jesus even prophesied that in the last days. You'll know them because it'll be the signs of the the days of Noah and Jonah, you know, who are, you know, you're going to be like, oh, man, repentance is necessary. Jonah, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. You know, I remember watching the Avengers movie, you know, and, and uh, the first Avengers mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Tony Stark is flying around as Iron Man and he's talking to Jarvis and he, he looks at, he goes, you remember the tale of Jonah? It's not a tale. No. Right. It's reality. I mean, it happened. You know, I mean, it's not a tale of Jonah and the fish that we that we teach in Sunday school. You know, to try to you know tell a cool story and 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 just derive a a cute little moral from this life for us. Yeah, it's beyond a more moralistic story. It is literally the creative power of God. I mean, it's showing you know God's redemptive power. Jonah was going to drown. Mm-hmm. He was. They threw him overboard. He, the goal was to drown him. He was going to drown, and the fish is a representation of God saving Jonah. I mean, saving mankind. He swallowed him. Was it pleasant? No. We all think, oh, that was a gross way. You know, I mean, gross way to say it. But that's and took that's him, the mercy of God. And jo- by Jonah's own word, says that he took him to Sheol. Yes. Which is a whole nother thing. Yeah. So, which we don't but have But he turned his face here. towards the temple, even exactly. there, the creative power. Exactly right. But to your question too, Jonathan, I think it's important that we get this. I was recently reminded of the fact that, you know, we typically look at, our scriptures as texts, you know, and, and we, we say, let's turn to the text or what's the text say, or handle the texts properly and things like that. When in hermeneutics and exegesis and all those kinds of things. And, and while that's healthy and good, I think it's incredibly important for us to understand that they weren't texts until recently. They were stories. And if you read the Bible as anything other than a story, you're misreading it. In other words, the proper way to interpret it exegetically, hermeneutically, and to deliver it homiletically and all those fancy theological words, I think it's really important we understand that the lens through which we see it initially as we go to the scriptures has to be through the lens of story. And not only that, they were oral traditions and oral stories, which meant they were designed to, to, to be, be read out loud and to be spoken so that yeah. it would spark the imagination. Mm-hmm. That's the total thing. In fact, it was, um, I forget which, which theologian it was, so I'm going to say um, Augustine, but I could be wrong. 
Um, it was, I believe it was Augustine who was the first person who walked in and saw one of the other monks reading, and it was mystifying because it was the first time that he ever had seen anybody reading the scripture privately of themselves. Up until that point, it was always read out loud in story form, and it was meant to be heard before it was meant to be read. That's why it comes by hearing. The word comes by hearing, scripture says. You know, and I think that's really important to understand is there's a whole bunch and there's a whole bunch in that, you know, and we again, we don't have time to unpack it all. But I think it's important that to, to, to your question specifically is that scripture is to be first understood as stories and of the oral tradition that are intended to spark the imagination. And I think that's critical. So if we want to correctly understand the scriptures, it starts there. Yes. Awesome. Well, any final words from you guys? Words of wisdom? That was it for me. That was it. That was good. Yeah. That's good. I think creative potential that we have in in our lives. You know, I mean, just to bring it back to the Inklings, Mm -hmm. the creative potential that we have rests within our ability to to relate to one another, to be able to not not just to sit around and have a good time with one another, but to see the potential in one another. We have to call those things that are not as though they are, you know, and, and that's seeing something. And, and I'll just, you know, just as a, a word of encouragement, you know, for all of us as believers, you know, you got family, you got friends, you got coworkers, you've got people that you're meeting on a daily basis that are, that are full of untapped potential because they have not realized who they are in Christ yet. Mm-hmm. And instead of us being judgmental and instead of us call, you know, you know, trying to out, sin and out all the crazy chaos in the world let's do what we need to do and find you know find the beauty in the chaos Mm -hmm. and identify it and call those things out that are not as though they are in people's lives and and i think that's what the inklings were trying to do i think that's what they're trying to do with it they were they had all these crazy ideas they don't you know what half the stuff they wrote never published Mm-hmm. You know, half the sure, stuff that they talked more. about never. Yeah, well, I know. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably like, well, that's garbage. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. and they admitted it, a lot of that stuff. I know C.S. Lewis was never going to publish his space trilogy. Yeah. But it's because of Tolkien. Yeah. And Tolkien's having already published The Hobbit, got his publisher to look at the space trilogy and petitioned on behalf of C.S. Lewis to his publisher for Lewis to publish the space trilogy. Well, wow, people is, still didn't even understand I, those books to this day. They're the most profound. Um, Writings you can come across. If you haven't read the Space Trilogy, you're missing something. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I recently just read them this last summer, reread mm-hmm. them from when I was a child. My dad read them to us or introduced us. He didn't read them to us. He introduced us to them. But um, And I just reread them this summer, and I, I just I had several Close conversations you with you about, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, did you see? Well, oh, my gosh, this is so profound. And it is. It, it's, it's rich. And some of that stuff was never even going to see the light that, of day. And, the, and that have, is the, the process of the world the creativity of the nature of God that was speaking to somebody, you know, 70 years ago, you know, that is still just as valid today. Right. You know, yeah, and, that's amazing. and coming back around, you know, showing the, you know, what identifying out of the chaos of, of the unman. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, so we can't go there, but right. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my, just real quick, one of my favorite things from the third one, that hideous strength is when he's talking, when Mark first get a job at uh, nice mm-hmm. and, he doesn't understand what he's supposed to do, and they always just tell him that um, the abstract is a good thing. And he's trying to write these articles for them and and to be, vague um, to be purpose, as vague right. as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. That's exactly what we're seeing. Put everything today with into people. conformity. Right. Yeah. You know. Make everything. Let as everybody vague draw as their own conclusions from everything. Let them think what they want. And, and we we think that's the epitome of intelligence. And while there's something there, but it's only something. And it's not the complete thing. I mean, it's it's a one it's a my, big mistake. Yeah. One of the things that the one of, this is the last thing I'll say. But when I was jotting down notes this morning at church, and I was thinking about well, people value uh, intelligence so much, and they value the intellect so much. But part of the job of um, creativity is to make intellectual ideas more commonly understandable. That's exactly but, right. But the nature of, of intelligence and what people want to yes. think. But people right. want to think about 
uh, intelligence is, oh, this has to be very, very hard to understand. Otherwise, you don't understand, or otherwise, it's not worth understanding. Right. But then, Albert Einstein, but then right. Albert Einstein says, if right. you can't explain it to a child, you don't know it yet. Yep. That's right. And so people try to make everything as abstract as possible so that they feel this sense of intelligentsia that they know something that you don't know. But really, they just don't understand it themselves. I was just going to say, they make it abstract because they don't understand it themselves. Right. And they want to sound smarter than they actually are. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's the whole point is, you know, to keep it. Keep it in a keep it simple, stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, keep keep it in a keep it in a mode that is, and and you you do yourself a disservice if you if and we all fall into that trap at times. Mm-hmm. We try sure. to we try to sound cool. We try to sound smart. But listen, I, you know, stay in your lane. Do what <laughs> yeah. God's created you to do. Stay stay where you're at, and you'll thrive. And in that, that isn't thing. that what the Inklings did though? They helped That's each exactly. other stay in their lane. That was, I mean, you could call, they call it the Inklings and we got these great stories and yeah. we have these great imaginations about what went on there. You know, yeah. I love to be in a fly on a wall, but really, I mean, if Lewis, you get, well, Lewis wasn't going to post his stuff. He thought yeah. of those little kid stories and, and Tolkien said, no, man, this is the best stuff in the world. Yeah. He, I mean, he's like, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. And, but he also criticized it. You know, he also criticized the fact that, well, you're not creating, because Tolkien created his own mythology entirely. Mm-hmm. Lewis amalgamated a whole bunch of different types of mythology. That's right. You know, yeah. and, and Tolkien thought he was a hack because of that. You know, and they talked <laughs> about first. that at first. Right. Yeah. But that's what I mean is, and what these guys did, though, and to, to the point, and maybe this is the last thing, is they helped each other yes. stay in their lane. That's right. Yep. All right. Yeah, we can do that for one another. Yeah, here, here. and we're supposed to the counsel of the or the Proverbs talks about seeking the counsel of the wise and right. wisdom in the multitude of counselors. We need each other. We're not islands. Right. Imagine that. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, thank you. Jay. Great talk. Appreciate it. Yep. Good time. And uh, yeah, I'll see everybody next week. Hey, the philosophical.